So we're in the book of Matthew, in case you didn't know. We've been there for a little while, but I love being in the book of Matthew. If you, if you need a Bible today, we're going to have some people coming down the, the aisles. If you need one, feel free to, to take one. It's our gift to you. We, we truly believe and love the Word of God. And we would love for you to have a copy of it if you don't have one. If, or if even you just need one today uh, to, to borrow that, that would be great. But we've been going through Matthew specifically looking at this idea of what does it mean to apprentice with Jesus? That's been kind of the main theme we've been drawn through. But the problem is for most of the first 10 or 9 chapters, it's not so much about others apprenticing, doing something. But you know this, inside of an apprenticeship, maybe most times what you do is you watch somebody first before you do it. And so for the whole beginning of Matthew, these guys have been watching Jesus. That's doing his thing. He's just come see, come watch what I do, come see how I do ministry. But what's so crucial to these next few chapters is it's about ready to turn. And no longer are they just going to come and see and watch him. Now he's about ready to hand them ministry and they're going to go engage in it. And you're going to see sometimes they're going to do a great job. Sometimes they're going to do a terrible job. But that's all part of apprenticing. And so these are some of the, those are kind of two major themes that are running through the book of Matthew is one, we get to see the Messiah in action. You cannot read the book of Matthew without seeing this just absolute reality in your face that Jesus is the true Messiah. He's the long awaited one. He's the anointed one. He is this one who's going to come and rescue his, the, God's people from their sins to, to right what is wrong, to, to create truly a reconciliation between humanity and God. So there's this, this reality you, you, you really need to see inside of Matthew. It's just in your face. This is who Jesus is. But the other thing is, though, is now the people that are going to follow him, these disciples. Now, to this point, in many ways, Jesus hasn't had much of a headwind, but as soon as we turn the corner in chapter 10, he's about ready to receive a lot of headwind. And in this particular section we're going to be in today, this is in a lot of ways what he's going to warn them about. To be a follower of Jesus means it's just hard. It's difficult. There's going to be an uphill battle to this, but the other thing that we're going to learn in chapter 10 is that it's worth it. Now, here's what I want to do today. What I want to do is, is to kind of take a rock and just skim it across chapter 10 so you can see the beauty of it. And the reason I say see the beauty of it, I don't know how many of you when you were in middle school had to dissect a flower. Did anybody besides me have to dissect a flower? Okay, I see a few of your hands. I'm disappointed in all of you. The American educational system has failed you. Pray for you right now. But we had to dissect a flower. Now, if you give a flower to a group of middle school boys and hand them also a scalpel. That just has danger written all over it, which is maybe why we shouldn't do that anymore. But I remember we got all done dissecting the flower and it didn't even look like a flower anymore. And so before we kind of dissect chapter 10 and have pieces everywhere, I wanna kind of see the full beauty of it, kind of just to see it for what it is, to see the grandeur of chapter 10 and what Jesus is doing. See, what has been happening now to this point, we can kind of see this from the word and, right? You know, I always make fun of this, but conjunction, junction, what's your function, right? What, is, what does and do? It 
connects, right? It connects me to what was said before. And what was said before, we know this Christian preached on, is that Jesus now had come to them, had showed them how to do ministry, and now he looks at them and says, pray for workers that the Lord of Harvest might send out these workers into the, work, into the field to be able to have this harvest. Pray for them. And what is so cool about this particular passage is we're going to get the first 12 workers that are going to join Jesus in what he's doing. Now in this, this is kind of what you're going to see. And this is what I'm talking about. I'm going to skip a stone across it. In 10, 1 through 4, we're going to see that Jesus commissions the 12. Now if you don't know what commissioning is, it's, maybe think of it in military terms. There's this major kind of role that you're going to play within the military, but we're going to commission you like an officer to what you're going to be engaged in within the, within the military. That's what commissioning means. He's going to commission those particular 12. He's going to charge the 12, which not means he's, he's not going to like, you know, charge, not that kind of a way, or charge them of a crime. He's going to give them like this important assignment. I'm, I'm about ready to hand you something that is of utmost importance, but beforehand, I need to give you a charge on what it is that you're supposed to be doing. Then when we get to 16 through 23, he's going to warn them that this is difficult. But I love how within the, in the New Testament or Old Testament, God, whenever he gives a warning, he also includes promises or he includes purposes for why he's doing what he's doing. So we're going to see that. You're going to see him then encourage the 12 in 24 through 33. He's going to challenge the 12 in 34 through 39. And then he's going to end with this idea in 40 through 42 where he's going to give them assurance. That's where it's going to go. So we're going to skip our rock across it. So let me look at this first one. If you've got your Bibles, you can open them up and you can look at verse 1. And let's talk about this idea of what does it mean that Jesus commissions. Well, within this, there's a specific reality where it calls his 12 disciples, meaning these people had been following him. They had just prayed. And now he's going to grab these ones that are called, he's going to call them Apostles. Now, apostle, what it came from was this idea of someone that was given something very important to take from one place to another. You even have these ships that were called apostle ships that would take something very important to, to a different place. His point is, is I'm going to hand you this message. Now, this is what's so significant about it. I'm going to hand you this message and it is of utmost importance. That's why I get this idea of commissioning. I'm commissioning you 12 to take the message. And he's going to give them authority. We see that, that they're going to have authority over unclean spirits. They're going to be able to heal. But the big thing here is, is he's authorizing them. He's commissioning them. But the other thing that is important about this is who he's commissioning. See, the more I thought through this, I would have never commissioned these 12 people. Like one of them, Judas is obvious, right? When you're known as Judas the betrayer, sorry, bud, you're not going to make it to the second, you know, whatever, uh, whatever. What do you call when you go in for a job? <laughs> Just making sure you're paying attention. <laughs> but we also know this, the rest of the 11 weren't that great, right? In fact, the way that I would say it for all of them is they were pretty ordinary. Like, who's going to choose the most ordinary people to launch this incredible mission with this sacred message that he's about ready to charge them with? I mean, I was thinking about that. I don't know if you've ever seen Men in Black, right? But there's this one section in Men in Black where Will Smith goes in to become potentially a Men in Black. And they ask this one guy, why are you here? And he says, because it's for the best of the best of the best. Remember that? No? Okay. So far, my illustrations are failing. (laughs) 
But in an interesting way, Jesus was calling them and saying, this is for the ordinary of the ordinary of the ordinary. See, not only were they ordinary people, they were from an ordinary place, Galilee. Galilee wasn't like Jerusalem. It wasn't this major place within Rome. It was just an ordinary place. He chose ordinary people because here's what I think. I think Jesus chooses ordinary people because he knows once he grabs their heart and the spirit of God lands in them, they are not ordinary anymore. In fact, I think you see that throughout the New Testament, that the moment the Spirit of God grabbed these men in Acts 2, watch out. He chooses the ordinary, 1 Corinthians 1, to confound the wise. And if you're sitting out there today feeling very ordinary, the message of the gospel is for you. It is for ordinary people. But check this who God intends to do extraordinary things in. Now with this, what that means is, is that for the gospel to go forward, we don't need the best of the best of the best. If you really want to go after the captain of the football team, that's how you're going to reach the school. That is such a bowl of malarkey. Jesus didn't go after the best of the best of the best. He just went after ordinary people, and this is what he's doing. He's looking at ordinary people, and he's commissioning them and saying, I have something incredibly important for you, and I'm going to hand it off to you. I'm commissioning you. Not only that, they didn't choose him, John 15. He chose what? Them. That's crazy. And in fact, he chose these 12, and all of us are sitting in this room today because those 12 did their job. That's nuts. But then what he's going to do when we get to chapter 5 is he's going to charge them. Now, in charging them, you see this like maybe at like a graduation, you know, there's somebody that gives the charge. They announce what it means to, to kind of live in this life that we've, we've called to. And you'll see this inside of this word instructing. That word instructing kind of makes it sound weird. Like Jesus, before they go out, you know, it's like, hey, you know, I've got a couple thoughts for you before you go. So let's just all kind of gather around. He wasn't doing that. This was a serious moment for him. The word actually means to charge. In charging them, you'll see this. There were some specific things he was saying to them. I want you to go. He said, I don't want you to go where the Gentiles or the Samaritans are yet. I don't want you to go there. I don't want you to go to the north of the Samaritans I don't want, or the, the Gentiles. I don't want you to go to the east to the, to the Gentiles. I don't want you to go to the south to the, to the, to the uh, Samaritans. I want you to stay right here in Galilee. And I love what he talks about. I want you to stay with the lost sheep of the house of Israel. I want you just to stay right here. I think what's so cool about that is he's sitting there going, look, this is going to be the ground that you're going to learn from. In fact, if you study the Gospels, Galilee was the place that got most of Jesus' work by far. And not only that, but that's the place where these guys were going to grow and learn and develop in. But what were they supposed to do? Well, you kind of can't see it in red. I thought we'd be able to see it a little bit better. But he says, I want you to go proclaim a message. The kingdom of heaven is at hand. Where have we heard that before? Well, we've heard that because that's what Jesus has been doing over and over and over again. See, this whole reality is, is that Jesus never asked people to do something that he hasn't done himself. 
before these guys, as he begins to commission them, is this, you've seen me, you've heard me announce the kingdom to the world. Now what I want you to do in coming behind me, I want you to announce that same message out there that the king has arrived and the king forgives sins and the king forgives sins of those that come to him by faith. And not only does he just forgive sins, he then changes you and makes you different and calls you to be a part of what he's doing. You go tell people that. Go tell them that I, the king, have arrived. I'm here. Not only that, but he then gives them these other commands. This is what a charge is. I want you to heal the sick. I want you to raise the dead. I want you to cleanse lepers. I want you to cast out demons. Well, why? Because that's what Jesus has been doing. I want them to see that the very thing that I did, you are going to do so that they, when they hear your message of the kingdom, they equate it, that there's no doubt you're from me and you're announcing the true kingdom message. And then he has this statement too, when you go out, I don't want you to acquire any gold. I don't want you to take anything with you. I just want you, and here's this term, go, just go. Now, later he's going to tell them, you know, put your knapsack together, get everything ready to go. But for right now, he wants them just to go because he wants them to learn, trust me, I'll provide. But how is he going to provide? The way that he's going to provide is this idea that he uses this, this concept of worthy. I want you to go into it and there are going to be worthy people there. Well, who are the worthy people? Well, we find out that the unworthy people are anyone who will not receive you or listen to your words. Those are the unworthy ones. Those are the ones and the ideas. It's just use of weighing something. They've been weighed and they don't believe in this message of the king. But the ones that are weighed this way, that believe in the message, they've got you. Stay with them. Be with them. In fact, he talks about bringing your blessing and your peace upon them. And the idea is, is that I've got you. Everybody check back in if you checked out for a second. This is so important. As we go and we engage in what God has called us to do, he has us. I will take care of you is the idea. I've got you. And in fact, in this, he even says, I've got you so much, but I don't have those that don't believe this message. And he throws out this idea, it'll be more bearable on the day of judgment in the land of Sodom and Gomorrah for that particular town you go into. Those ones I don't have. So just know this as I announce it, I've got you. And here's the big thing. We don't have to dictate results. We just need to be faithful. Just announce my message. Do what I've taught you to do, and I will take care of the results. I've got you. Now, I think that is so important for what's about ready to come next, because he's about ready to warn. What does it mean, Jesus, that you've got us? Why, why, why would you need to have us? Because what he says next in this next section is important. He's going to say to them, behold, I am sending you out as sheep in the midst of wolves. What? I am intentionally sending you out and putting you in what? Danger. But I've got you. Now, there's a lot to this we're going to understand, but I don't want you to miss the reality of this. In other words, taking my message out there, the reason that I've got you is it is going to be brutally difficult. 
I rarely watch the news, and the other night I'm sitting there watching the news, and I'm hearing this guy talk about it. He's a, he's a proclaimed follower of Jesus. And as he's sitting there talking, the thing that blew me away was how at the, at the end of the day, he didn't believe that God has us. He talked about how hard it is for Christians and how difficult it is to live in this world and how we need to have laws enacted to be able to make it easier upon us as Christians. And I think Jesus would look at him and go, what? What are you talking about? I'm not sending you out there to do something easy. I'm sending you out there with a message that is going to cause problems. And so just for all of us that are here that are followers of Jesus, let me just tell you on behalf of the king, this is going to be hard. People aren't going to like us. But listen to me. Back to this, he's got us. Sure, we're going to have to be wise as serpents. We're going to have to be innocent as doves. But here's the big thing. Just beware because he's going to talk about this idea of people delivering us over to be, to be taken before courts and synagogues, before governors and before kings. But there's going to be, again, a purpose for it at the very end of it. Why in the world would Jesus do this? Why would he put us in harm's way and have to protect us? Because you're going to do it, and I love this, for my name's sake. I will put you there, and it will seem like you're in danger, but I'm putting you there for my name's sake so that, and I love the end of it, to bear witness before them, before the Gentiles. I'm going to put you in these difficult spots because I intend to put you there. So you might proclaim my name so that people don't understand you. See, I think what we need to start doing as Christians is quit whining and complaining. I am so over myself whining, complaining, but I'll be honest with you. I am so over Christians complaining and whining how hard it is. No, duh. <laughs> it's hard because we have a hard message. This week I was sitting and I was talking with this guy who's a self-proclaimed agnostic and we kind of were talking back and forth and he goes, okay then, Todd, just boil down the message. What's the message of the gospel? I sat there and I looked back at him and I said, well, you're not the king. Jesus is, bend your knee now. And he looked back at me kind of weird and he goes, I don't like that message. I go, most people don't. <laughs> Our message is hard. Our message throws people back. How dare you to say that to me? How dare he gets to dictate who I am? How dare he's the one that determines how this world's supposed to run? Well, it would be one thing, but the thing we've been learning through all throughout Matthew is why? Because this is the Messiah, King of kings and Lord of lords. Christians, we have got to quit whining and be excited that when we go out with humility and graciousness announce the greatest message ever, people are going to reject it. We are going to be rejected. But God then is going to put us in positions now not to be a bunch of whiners, not to be a bunch of criers, not to be law enactors, but to be kids of the king. Announcing these words to the world that King Jesus reigns and he saves people from their sins and makes right with the God of the universe. Bend your knee today because one day you will and you'd rather bend it now to that great king. Jesus says you announce that message and people are going to hate you. 
He doesn't say if we get delivered over. Notice what he says there. He says what? When? But why? Why in the world would this take place? How are we going to then speak? And he says, don't worry about what you're going to say. And here we're back to it again. I've got you. He says, for what you are to say will be given to you in that hour. For it's not you who speak. But look at this. The spirit of your father speaking through you. A promise. I've got you. I don't know if you've ever had that moment before, and I'm not talking about like somehow, you know, we're not supposed to learn God's word and be ready to give an answer for the hope that's within us. But even like two weeks ago, I was sitting there, I was engaging a guy, we're talking back and forth, and as he and I are talking, I'm like, God, I don't know what to say, I'm not sure what to say. He's sitting there going, and all of a sudden, out of nowhere, I had this great thought, I let it out, and he goes, oh man, that's a great point. And I'm looking at God going, thank you, Lord, because that one didn't come, like, it's just... These moments where God says, my spirit has you. You'll be put in difficult places, but let me tell you something. Don't you want to be put in difficult places so you can see the spirit of God come to life inside of you? I think so often, again, churches, I think the reason we're stagnant is not because we need more laws enacted to protect us. I think Christians are stagnant because actually we haven't had enough fire going on around us to cause us to trust God like we're supposed to. I know 1 Timothy 2, we're supposed to pray for peace. I understand that, and I want to, and we're going to pray that way. But, oh, Christian, if God turns up the heat, don't whine and complain. Look forward to sharing the greatest message ever in front of kings and in front of governors for the glory of Jesus. Not only that, I put it to you this way. For these particular guys, one of the big things was is they were just supposed to be going and going and it could even include their family who's gonna come at them. But his point is just keep going. And those who persevere to the end, this is a crucial statement, this is a promise. You persevere to the end and his point to 11 of them is you will, you'll be saved. Now by faith, no doubt, but oh, followers of Jesus, man, church that I love. Christians don't need prime soil to grow in, man. We're dandelions. We grow everywhere. You try to stop us and then what happens is you hit the dandelion and what happens, all those seeds fly everywhere. And when they fly everywhere, what starts to happen is the gospel only spreads. The story of the New Testament is you cannot stop our gospel. The greatest message of the greatest king of all time. Now, in the midst of it, they're probably sitting there going, I don't know if I want to join you. Which is why I'm glad Jesus encourages them. He says, look, a disciple's not above his teacher. His whole point is, it's like, look, if they're going to do this to me, which for the rest of the book of Matthew, guess what they're going to do? They're going to do that to Jesus. He goes, just know this, like they did this to me. If they do this to you, you're in good company. You're with me. That means there's a simpatico reality going on between us and that now you're not above your master. It's not enough for, like he says in the disciple, to be like his teacher and the servant to be like his master. If they've called the master Beelzebul, well, guess what? They're going to call you and the mission you're part of the same thing. Have no fear. Why? Because even when people do things to us, the reality of it is nothing's going to be covered up forever. 
One day those people will stand before God and have to give an answer for the rejection of the message that they had. And by the way, they're not rejecting you, they're rejecting the king. He says, just announce it, just be faithful, tell the world who I am. Don't fear them. Don't fear these ones that can kill the body, man. Fear the one who can destroy both soul and body and hell. That's the one you should be afraid of. And you'd say, wow, that doesn't sound very encouraging, but check this next part out. He says, are not two sparrows, and I love this, are not two sparrows sold for a penny, and not one of them will fall from the ground apart from what's your father. But even the hairs of your head are all numbered. Fear not, therefore, you're more important than what? Sparrows. Jesus point, I've got you. Not only do I have you, I chose you. Remember when you were a kid and you'd go out on the field and they would choose teams? And I'll never forget, man, there was one game I stunk at. And it was always me and this guy named Chuck who were chosen last for this game. And you know this, it was like, I don't know, Chuck or Todd, Chuck or Todd. Almost always they went with Chuck. But here's what's crazy. When Jesus chose these guys, it wasn't because they were what was left over. He chose them because they were his. I've got you. My dad's got the number of hairs on your head numbered. His point of using a sparrow is if he cares for the smallest of things that you can see, don't you think he cares for you immensely? This one that he chose, this one that I'm about ready to die for, this one for whom my love falls upon you, this one that God has loved for eternity, this one that he's gonna save and rescue and reconcile you and make you one of his very own, this one whose name is written in the book of life, this one who he's choosing to spend eternity forever with you. He loves you. And so for all of us in here that are followers of Jesus, when we're asked to step into the heat, we step into the heat knowing that we are loved by the Father. He says, so therefore, whoever acknowledges me before men, which is gonna be you all, I'll acknowledge you before the Father and all those that deny me before you, I'll deny them. I've got you. I've got you. With all the political stuff heating up right now, and everybody just so woe is me, who's gonna be president? Oh my gosh. What's happening around the world? It's all falling apart. What are we gonna do? To which Jesus says, I'm king. I reign. I've got you. And I love you. Be wise when you go vote and all those other things. But Christians, quit being scared of this. Our God has us. Now in this, though, there's something else that has to happen. He says in there, don't think that I've come to bring peace to the earth. Now that kind of seems strange because we find out that Jesus is the Prince of Peace and there'll be peace on earth, goodwill to men, and it will be one day. But right now, there will be no peace. This message that we have only applies to those who believe it, to those ones who believe they will find peace and peace like they've never known it according to Jesus. 
but it goes even so much to the point where it's going to cause conflict inside of families and inside of your households. I remember one time I was sharing Jesus with this guy who is a, a, a Mormon friend, and we're talking about it, and I get done sharing with him everything about the gospel. And he says, Todd, do you understand, if I believe this message, I'll be rejected by not only my family, but all my peer group and all the people that I do business with. And I just looked back at him, and I said, yeah, but is it true? If it's true, then isn't it worth it to give up all those things for what is offered inside of this gospel? By the grace of God, he came to know Jesus. He lost family. He lost friends. He lost business. But he will tell you to this day, it was worth it. In this also, he says, therefore, it's time to count the cost. Now, this is so crucial. Jesus says, I'm the ultimate thing to be loved. There is nothing greater than me. And I'm standing before you. And whoever doesn't love me more than they love their father and their mother and their son and their daughter, their, whoever it is, whoever doesn't love them more than me, his whole point is, is now not worthy of me. It's that idea, you're not going to believe in me. Now, he's not saying hate, like when Luke, you have to kind of explain that through a little bit. He's not saying like to cast them out and not care about them. But in comparison to Jesus, do you just love me more than anything? Because he's going to call you to love them like, like, like no tomorrow with all your heart, mind, soul, or to love them like your neighbor is, to love them as yourself. But his point is, do you love me? He says, whoever doesn't take up his cross, which has huge implications we're going to talk about later on, which we kind of don't understand today, is not worthy of me. But whoever finds his life will lose whatever loses his life for my sake will find it. It's a true count the cost moment. And it's not just a one-time thing. Have you ever found you have to keep asking this question? Man, I, I was... I feel like before I got married and before I had kids, I loved Jesus with everything that I was. And then I got married, and ah, dang it, did I not start to love her more than I loved Jesus? Learning how to love truly Jesus more than I love my wife so that I might love her rightly. Then I got those stinking little kiddos. Gosh, like I was over here looking at this, oh, look at just sitting there sleeping on you. They become worse. <laughs> oh, but you start to love them more than you love Jesus if you're not careful. It's keeping Jesus at the forefront of all things. He says, count the cost. But then he's going to give us assurance. His assurance has to do with something that's so important to this kind of, because we bring this to an end. He talks about whoever receives you receives me. Whoever receives a prophet gets a prophet's reward. Whoever receives a righteous person gets a righteous person's reward. What, what is he talking about there? He's saying in there, there are going to be people that are going to respond to the gospel. So go announce it. Go tell it. Tell it to your friends. Tell it to your family. Tell it to your neighbors. Tell it to your coworkers. Just go announce it. Some are going to reject it, but isn't it awesome? I don't know if you've ever led someone to Jesus Christ, but it's probably one of the most exciting things I've ever experienced in my life. That moment in which you watch as the light turns on, life comes to them, the Spirit of God begins to indwell them. That moment that they take their first baby steps in following Jesus where they just can't get enough of God's word and they pester you all the time to answer questions about the Bible and you get annoyed with them. 
Kidding, not kidding. Oh, gosh. There's nothing. Few things, maybe, that are as incredible as that. People are going to respond, but not only that, whoever gives one of these little ones even a cup of cold water, this, this idea of the most simple things in the name of Jesus, because he's a disciple, because he's a follower of mine, truly I say to you, he will by no means lose his reward. Just go out and do what you're told. And if you do what you're told, you will be rewarded. Just go do what I've asked you to do. Leave me the results to me. You just go. Now that's kind of where the outline is. Now let me give you the beauty of this. The beauty of this is all of you now have been beckoned into this. This is yours. The beauty of this is Jesus is looking at all of us right now in this particular way and he's commissioning us and he's telling us, I have called you to be a part of my mission. Are you ready? I have chosen all of you. You might feel ordinary, but trust me, my spirit in you is gonna make you extraordinary. I'm charging you. I'm, I'm giving you this great message to take into the world. I'm warning you about the fact that it's not going to be easy, but with each and everything that you encounter, there'll be purpose and promise. I'm encouraging you to say that if you go out there and people reject you, just know that they're going to reject me. They rejected me first. He's challenging us to count the cost on a daily basis because our greatest love is nothing in this world. It is King Jesus himself. But he's assuring us the harvest is going to happen. Just tell the message and you won't regret it. This is us. This is what he's called us to. The greatest thing ever. And because these 12 guys took it seriously, all of us are here right now. <gasps> Isn't that crazy? Those 12 guys looked at Jesus and they said, Let's do it. Let's go. Now, for a while, they were bumbling idiots. But they got it. And when you read First and Second Peter at the end of it, you get it. Jesus understood, or Paul, Peter understood what it meant to be a follower of King Jesus. And so to those of you that are not followers of Jesus, you might be sitting there going, I don't want to join you. Why in the world would I ever want to join you if people are going to reject me? People are going to somehow bring now insults upon me. They're going to cause problems for me. Why? Because it is the truest message of all time. And I'm begging you to bend your knee to the king now, not later. And I promise you, you bend your knee to this king and you will never regret it. What I mean by is to come by faith. You're ordinary. You are in desperate need of a savior and to come to him and bend that knee, proclaiming him as the one who has made things right through his death, burial, and resurrection. Today's the day. But aren't you glad, though, that this message that I'm bringing is so valuable and so beautiful that people will die for it? So you have to deal with that. People have died to advance this message for 2,000 years. For the rest of us, let's go. Let's go. 
Let's go to see me. Let's go to Moore Park. Let's go to the East San Fernando, West San Fernando. Don't go to the East San Fernando Valley. It's too far away. <laughs> West San Fernando Valley. Thousand Oaks, Camarillo. Go. Wherever you go, take this message. See the power of God come to life in you. Watch as now you get out there and you see your desperation, but you watch as that desperation is met in the way that King Jesus promised it would be. I'm not having a rah-rah here. I'm just saying, let's go. And before we go, I'm going to bring somebody up here really quickly. Because I think this is actually a perfect message for moms. So I'm going to bring Laura Shear up, and she's actually going to bring this message to a close. And she's going to speak specifically to the mamas. If you're the fathers or anyone else in here, I'd love it if you listen to. It's all you. Hey, good morning. Um, Todd did a really good job at taking us through 42 verses in a relatively short amount of time. So thanks for doing that. Yeah. <laughs> um, he made a little bit of application to all of us as disciples. I have the privilege this morning to speak to a specific group of disciples here. It's a group of disciples that is very dear and special among our church family, and that's the mothers. Now, generally speaking, I think we think of mothers as women who have birthed children or women who have adopted children. I love when Jesus comes. He likes to expand our view of things, even the most ordinary things like motherhood. And so skipping over to Matthew chapter 12, we see the situation where Jesus is teaching and somebody comes to him and says, hey, your mother and your brothers are wanting to talk to you. And Jesus says, well, who are they? Who are my mother and my brothers? And he says, whoever does the will of my father in heaven is my brother and sister and mother. And so Jesus in this passage is expanding our understanding and he's saying within my family and among my disciples, no woman is excluded from the role of being a mother. Um, we raise up children in our residential homes. We raise up children here among our church family. Um, in every arena that God puts us in, we invest in the lives of people around us. And so if you are a woman here today and perfectly striving to do the will of our Father in heaven, investing in the lives of other people, then according to Jesus, you are one of the mothers. Um, and so returning to Matthew chapter 10, um, we see in this text Jesus not holding back or sugarcoating to his disciples um, when he tells them, if you follow me, if you do get sent out by me, it's going to be difficult and it's going to be hard. I think often when we think of Mother's Day, it's full of flowers and cards, um, lunches, and I like those things. I like being appreciated, but Jesus doesn't say, hey, if you go out and follow me, you're going to be appreciated. Actually, he says, beware. You're going to face hardships. You're going to grow weary. You're going to be misunderstood. There could be persecution. And I think as mothers, 
today, we're not ignorant of these things. We're not ignorant of the hardships we face as we imperfectly try to embrace our role as mothers in God's household. Um, we are fighting for the souls that God has put in our care, and we're in it for the long haul. We're raising up these next generations to be the soldiers that are sent out into the trenches, and it is like seriously exhausting at times. Jesus tells us to daily pick up our cross and follow him. It's not easy to pick, a, to pick up a cross and carry it for one day, let alone day after day after day. And as mothers and spiritual mothers, we know about the weariness of being faithful day in and day out. The heaviness we experience as we long to see those in our care embrace Jesus as savior, as king, and as treasure. And if we can just take a moment to acknowledge the mothers here today who have experienced the heartbreak of losing a child. We grieve so intensely and so deeply because we love so intensely and so deeply. And it's all part of the cost of embracing our role as mothers. And I think that's the reason why in this text, in this one chapter, Jesus tells us three different times, you do it for my sake. You do it for my namesake. We make a lot of sacrifices for the sake of different things. And I was, I was thinking about this, like what does it mean to sacrifice something for his name's sake? I thought, okay, for me personally, if you know me, like I make a lot of sacrifices for the sake of a good night's sleep. Like, I really, really value it, and I see the benefit in a good night's sleep. And I think Jesus knows the great cost of following him. He knows the great cost of being his disciple, and he knows the cost of embracing our role as mothers and spiritual mothers. And so he tells us the only thing that's going to keep you going when you're weary and you're tired and you're discouraged is to remember that we're doing this for the sake of his name and the sake of his kingdom. We have found, like the Apostle Paul, that everything we have lost is nothing in comparison to knowing him. We've tasted and we have seen that he is good. And we're not content holding that to ourselves, so we go about proclaiming his kingdom in our homes and among our church family and among every place that God puts us. In spite of the cost, we keep going for his name's sake. And we need to be reminded of this. Like we seriously need to be reminded of this. It's so easy to grow weary in doing good. Um, it's easy to grow weary as we continue to make these huge sacrifices that we've made, as well as these little small mundane sacrifices like giving a cup of water to someone. But Jesus tells our, us mothers to look up and be reminded of why we're doing this. We're doing it for his name's sake, and we're doing it for the sake of his kingdom because we've found in him the greatest treasure to be had, and we're not content until all that God has put under our spiritual care are raised up to full maturity in his household. And so, weary mothers, I pray that God would lift your eyes again. 
He never promised you this would be easy, but he did promise it would be worth it. He will be glorified in these next generations. He's gonna do that. He's gonna be lifted up among all the families of the earth. And he's inviting us women to embrace our role as mothers, as spiritual mothers, to look up and be reminded that he's the glorious one. And it's his zeal that's going to accomplish this. Like that encourages me because my zeal wanes. Like, and so I'm grateful that he promises me it's my zeal that's gonna encourage the, accomplish this, not yours. So I just encourage you to look up again and be reminded of why we're doing this. So I'm gonna close in prayer and um, pray a blessing over you. Father God, it is a privilege to call you Father. It is a privilege to be given the role as mother and spiritual mothers in your household. And so Father, we pray right now for these women in this room. Father, would you remind them again of your worth? Father, you said that you will magnify your word, you will exalt your name. And so Father, would we see you as glorious, would we see you as exalted, and would we rest in the truth that you're gonna accomplish these things and you invite us into this role as mothers to proclaim your kingdom in all places that you put us. And so Father, we pray for your encouragement and we pray um, for your name to be magnified and we long to see these generations be lifted up and worship you and see you as we have seen you. So we pray these things in the name of your son, Jesus. Amen. Amen. Thank you.